Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be doing a Star Trek podcast while making uncomfortable eye contact with each other. And uh, welcome to the Max Fun Drive also. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. (laughs) We are looking at each other during... And I'm the only one of the two of us who's wearing a a wirework uh, piece of underwear. Yeah, you're the only one that's floating in the room. Yeah, feels good. <laughs> You'll never know the freedom that I'm experiencing right now, Ben. <laughs> this is an exciting like timing and uh, and work travel lined up in a way where we could do our first Max Fun Drive episode for 2018 here together. Yeah, and I know that like. I mean, when I look at the numbers, the way I interpret the tea leaves is that, like, much more than half of our audience are in the back catalog. They're not staying current with the newest apps, necessarily. Yeah, there's a good, I think, uh, there's a good spread of people. So those, uh, I feel like those episodes get their own pledge breaks, but if you're listening to this, and it is between April 2nd and April 13th of 2018... This is the Max Fun Drive. And, it's happening right now all around us. And it's really exciting. The network is going for 25,000 new and upgrading donations and uh we have some like really cool uh bonus content planned. As of this recording, I don't think we quite have a plan for how we figure out what triggers bonus content, but we really want to do a lot of stuff for the donors this year. So, you know, last year we did like a little surprise holiday episode and uh, we've got our Star Trek First Contact episode up there and our Star Trek Generations episode up there. So if you want to hear those, our our takes on those movies, like those are, those are bonus content that you can get right now by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. And We'll break in maybe like later in the episode to talk about the other awesome gifts that everybody gets for taking part in the fun drive. Won't that be fun? <laughs> you just can't take anything sincerely, Adam. <laughs> that, what, what makes uh, doing the show in person difficult is that uh, for most shows, you can't see the look on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see the strain you're putting on your eyes as you roll them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now wearing a hooded sweatshirt backwards <laughs> to obscure my true feelings about what's going on here. Yeah, if Adam's voice sounds just slightly muffled, it's because it's going through a couple of ply of cotton. Are we going to do some cards here? Is that what the plan is? Yeah, I was thinking uh, for the first time in a very long time we could bring back sort of the classic card game bit because uh, yeah. a generous viewer sent us a box of the complete Star Trek Deep Space Nine trading cards. The game is a five card stud. The game is exceedingly simple. Part of this is just the card data. Time to pluck a pigeon. From what I understand, there are signature cards in this box, just like there were in the original uh, Next Generation box. Yeah. A bunch of special cards in here. This uh, looks like the box that 
you would buy if you were the comic book store owner, and then it would like like part of it turns into a display a little bit. Yeah. It like and then like people buy them piecemeal the, their packets in there. Is that how this works? Well, uh, I will open it up. Adam and is literally ripping cellophane as we speak. And we'll see. I hope the mics are picking up that sweet, sweet cellophane noise. <laughs> Just gotta cut through this foil tape. You need a knife there, buddy? This is, uh, oh, your this fingernails is box, are very sharp. Box 5571 out of 8,000, Ben. So, wow. uh, we're very fortunate to have this box. I'm just going to break you off half of these <laughs> cards, because that's... Are we going to go, like, full card bukkake here? No, let's, uh, let's <laughs> do... What do you say we open three packs each? Okay, fair and, enough. And uh, we see if anything fun happens. So, so but I'm leaving you half the box these, so that we can continue to play the game. These stacks live here. Yeah. Look at me. These are my stacks now. So what are we hoping for out of this? I'm hoping for a signed Kira, right? Like, that's clearly going to be the one that I'm going for. I'm going for a natural morn. <laughs> oh, my cards... Uh... My cards are stuck together. Are yours? Yeah, my cards are a little stuck together as well. What does that mean? Someone's enjoyed these cards before we have. <laughs> I can't believe they sealed them back after they did what they did. Uh, they are one big... D I mean, uh, we both really enjoyed those TNG cards because they were uh, sort of artful depictions yeah, of the they episodes. Were, they were uh, one, artist Juan Ortiz's kind of throwback movie poster style posters of episodes. What I'm gathering from having opened this package is, is that these are uh, these are like full bleed photograph cards. Yeah. And they're very glossy. I think that's why they're sticking together, right? Yeah, some of them are a little damaged by the uh, sticking together phenomenon. There's, oh no. Yeah, I'm getting like little... Uh, Little bits of the ink that came away yeah. in in peeling them apart. It helps to uh, like a like opening a fresh pack of playing cards. It helps to just sort of uh, bend them up a little bit. Yeah, right. Man, uh, these, so most of my cards appear to be episode specific, uh, much like those TNG cards. So I've got a card here for Qless. That's one of the episode. That's one of the season one episodes, and I also have the Forsaken. Which is, a, which is a really nice picture of fan favorite Loxana Troy. Nice. I'm seeing a lot of pictures of them in the uniform that, uh, that they had in Star Trek First Contact. The gray, uh, the gray mantle on a black jumpsuit with the color just yeah. in the, on the uh, turtleneck or whatever. Yeah, I wonder when they, they drop that look on the show. I have Checklist 1 here, which is, uh, I guess, the card that tells you what other cards you can find in these yeah. in these packs. It's got uh, cards 1 through 99 listed. Mm. <laughs> in front of it is a four-panel picture of Bashir, Worf, O'Brien, and Quark. <laughs> I, I really like how these cards look. It is... Really disappointing that the ink pulls up based on uh, the stuck togetherness. This happened to the uh, photo album of my wedding photos that my mom made. Oh no! The, the pages are stuck together now for uh, reasons having nothing to do with any biological function of of mine. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, Ben, you're, you're jerking it to your own wedding photographs? <laughs> you sick fuck? <laughs> Not what my mom had in mind when she put that together for us. <laughs> it was an anniversary present that she thought would bring my wife and I closer together, but it wound up just bringing me closer to myself. <laughs> who, who knows your masturbatory predilections better than your mother? <laughs> uh, <huh. laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a special card. Oh, really? In, uh, in my second pack, Ben. Yeah? Check it out. I've got uh, It's a Special Allies and Enemies card uh, for Molly O'Brien. <laughs> Can you guess uh, which side of that description she falls on? I guess, uh, I'm guessing that they put her on ally side. She is on the ally side. Good <laughs> guess. Uh, it's card B20. Molly O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> She dabbled in fascism early in her uh, in her career, but she wound up on the side of freedom and justice. Um, yeah, I'm just finding um, I'm just finding a lot of episode cards. Oh, I do have an here's an allies and enemies card, Adam. It is Ishka. <laughs> Looks like a Ferengi lady. I'll and, check uh, her out. Oh, it says uh, her son is Quark. So this is Quark and Rom's mom. <laughs> you want to guess? That, uh, you want to guess whether she's an ally or an enemy? <laughs> well, I will guess that uh, she knows how they both like to masturbate. <laughs> uh, she appears to be clothed. So uh, looks oh, that's like strange. Looks like the the rules are being bent for television. <laughs> All right, one more pack. Yeah, let's do it. I already have a duplicate card here, by the way. Oh. I have uh, two of the cards for the Magnificent Ferengi, one in each pack. Uh, the packs themselves say something that the box doesn't, Ben, which is look for randomly inserted autograph and costume cards. What? I wonder if... Uh, is that going to include a scrap of fabric? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like uh, like some premium baseball cards will give you uh, a postage stamp-sized piece of a... Baseball uniform. Mm-hmm. They smell horrible. <laughs> it's just the crotch section. Yeah. <laughs> it's the lucky, lucky playoffs underpants section. Yeah. Giving this latest pack a nice bend. Yeah. To bust the cards loose. Okay, Adam. I have one more special card. What? Yep. And uh, it actually kind of continues a theme that we already started. It's another Allies and Enemies card for Keiko O'Brien. Whoa. (laughs) She's an ally. I mean, it'd be pretty fucked up to put her on the other side of something from her own daughter. (laughs) I don't really know what she's an ally of. I guess the Federation? Is that what that is? She's an ally of foreign foods, I guess. (laughs) I've uh, I've got a card for Shattered Mirror. Uh, famously one of the Mirror Universe episodes on DS9 that I'm excited to get to. I have one for um, The Maquis Part 1, and it's a picture of Quark trying to ply a Romulan or Vulcan lady with some booze. Ooh, She's got a lot more of a bold eye than uh, your average... Romulan or Vulcan? Like, she's really going with, like, an editorial makeup look on on that uh, eyeshadow. Not something you would wear to work, is what I'm saying. One thing I'm noticing in flipping through these cards so far 
is the myriad costume choices that they're giving uh, the Navisa tour. Yeah. Like I'm seeing ball gowns. I'm seeing uh, crazy leather wear. <laughs> uh, looks like uh, there's a lot of fun textures and colors coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, I'd say put that back in your pants. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> I'm uh, having fun. Let's open another pack. Yeah, I mean, another thing that is super clear is just how much more show there is yeah. to see. Like, they, most of these cards are unfamiliar to me because I have not seen these episodes. Yeah, there's a lot. We have a lot in store. I want to get a costume card. I want a sig. I want a signature. I'm kind of feeling like I want to really go through these cards get, until we get some get sig. Get a signature? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got another uh, ally. Oh, boy, I got a signature. Shit. I've also got some really stuck together cards here. Okay. Well. What do you got? We got in a little bit of trouble the last time we had a spoiler. So I feel like we should say that this is a, a, a main cast character that is a later season situation. Oh, so yeah. if you're like, if you're watching the show fresh and you don't want this spoiled, maybe hit the skip 30 button a couple of times. My signature card here is uh, Nicole DeBoer, who plays Esri Dax. Hey. Wow. Very nice. She really signed it, I think. Yeah, that's a real ink signature. Looks like actual blue Sharpie on this card. Wow. Very cool. I feel like the blue Sharpie is like what they use, you know? Like, that's definitely the same pen that they used for the signatures on the, on the other cards that we've opened. When we sign posters after our shows, we've been using uh, a gold and a silver pen. Like a paint pen, though, because yeah. usually our our posters have tended to have kind of dark colors, so the paint pen pops. Maybe off. this time uh, we bring the blue pens out. Or, uh, or we'll, we'll have to see how our poster looks for uh, our next tour. My ally card is Torazial. <laughs> Uh, who looks like a person of Cardassian origin. Daughter of Golducat. Wow. She's got kind of a mullet in that picture. Yeah. <laughs> she's, a, she's a business in the front, party in the back kind of Cardassian. Another special card I got looks to be uh, one in a series, like 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 it may be a puzzle piece. Oh, yeah. It looks like there's, uh, there's cut-off text on the back, so you have to put it next to its... It's counterpart to reveal the, <laughs> the scintillating secret message. That's fun, right? They're yeah. they're asking you to stick these cards together in a way that is a little different than how they come to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're going for another. <laughs> you can't be stopped. I thought uh, I thought we were both going until a signature. Oh, really? <laughs> this could mean uh, a very lengthy pre-roll for us. Good. I, I got a, uh, a repeat of the Q-less card. I have another signature. Oh, shit. Well, that's it, then. I think uh, there are two signature... Are there really? Two that's signatures it? per box, so I think you got it, man. Damn. You got that both. That seems stingy. What's that sig? <laughs> oh, you're not going to believe it, Adam. It's another Ezri Dax. It's a, <laughs> it's a Bajoran guy. Played by Lawrence Monson. Hovath. Okay, so I'm reading the box and it says autograph cards are one every 20 packs. Oh. 
So there's gotta be. Oh, so check it out. Uh, the costume cards are one out of every 100. Oh. Allies and enemies cards are one out of every three. So we're pr doing pretty good on allies and enemies. Yeah, we're punching hard on these allies and enemies. Oh, I, I sort of like our uh, our rate. Yeah. Having already gotten two autograph cards. <laughs> this this box is going to get a lot less exciting the <laughs> further we go. Well, uh, who knows what? Like maybe we got a box that's just full of them. Like. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's like the the randomness overall. But yeah. All right, I want to open up one more pack. Or a, a pack until I get something special. Okay. Because I'm not feeling very special. <laughs> then. Adam, you're very special to me. Wow. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know what's fun about the duet card? Uh -huh. <laughs> is the image that they use for it is, uh, is a uh, Galdar Heel's dead body on the ground <laughs> on the promenade and oh, like you yeah. don't see any faces it's Morn, just his corpse Morn standing over him yeah just a great great moment from that episode <laughs> That's, that is the uh, the defining image of that episode I would say yeah <laughs> that, is, uh, that is a real sound it uh it makes me feel bad Oh, I got a special card here. Yeah? It's uh, Ships of the Dominion War Whoa. is the card, and it looks like one of the Bill Tilly hollow card effect cards. It's very foily. Oh, yeah? Got a foily card. And uh, it's for Cardassian Warship. Looks like a great big Galar-class spacecraft on it. Oh, wow, yeah. This is uh, nice foiling on this card. Right? Did a nice job. Just some delicious foil work on that. I got one from Wrap the... Wrap my uh, leftovers with that card. <laughs> I got one from that episode that was based on the movie Predator, Captive Pursuit. Oh, yeah. Those dudes that show up and just shoot the promenade up and everybody's like, all right, well, that's just their culture. I am uh, I'm frequently surprised at which shot they choose for the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, the the episode for the Nagas, you may be surprised to know, does not feature the Nagas. It's Jake and Nag eating lollipops. <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly the most memorable part of the Nagas episode. Yeah. Um, I have one last Allies and Enemies card, Adam. Yeah? It is Admiral Bill Ross! It's just a... Just a, a paunchy, <laughs> high-status white guy, from, I feel like from what I can tell. Once you make it to Admiral, you can begin to let yourself go a little bit. Yeah. Around the midsection. Yeah. You just it, All you do is roundhouses and chow down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Adam, what do you say we get into the episode that we came here to talk about today? All right, I can do that. Let me put my cards up with my other cards, my customizable playing card game cards. Oh, that was fun. That, that was, was fun to do again. That was great. It felt old school Let's, in a fun way. Do we, we came here to do, though, and talk about Season 2, Episode 6 of Deep Space Nine, Melora. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. So we start with this doctor's log. And uh, Bashir is really excited because 
the first Elasian in Starfleet has been stationed on Deep Space Nine. She's a, a cartographer, and uh, he's been, like, getting ready for her arrival. The brewing planet of Elysia, uh, <laughs> known for its its super low gravity, right? Yeah. And he has kind of done to this lady what Jordy did to Leah Brahms. I'm guilty of a terrible crime, doctor. In that he's kind of pre-fallen in love with the idea of her without actually having met her. Yeah, this filled me with that creeping feeling of dread. Yeah. Like, how how do they ever pay this off that isn't a woman arriving to realize that she's been spied on <laughs> for most of her life? That yeah. never goes over well. No. I have been invaded, violated. And, like, the issue is she comes from a low-gravity planet, so she needs a wheelchair, and they have to do a lot of ADA retrofitting around the station. I mean, the station was grandfathered in because... It was a pre-ADA construction, but now that they're bringing somebody in that actually needs to wheel around the station, they've got to put ramps in. We've done the best we can with the ramps. The Cardassians obviously didn't have her in mind when they built this place. I guess it, it sounds like there's hover technology that would work on a Federation starship, but because of the like metals that the Cardassians use, it just won't. They take a lot of time to tell the viewer why they're doing it this way, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And uh, the Federation people are uh, are doing that cheerful, over-helpful thing where right. they're like, we're doing a good job for a good person. <laughs> and this person is bound to appreciate this. Yeah, it's even like, it's even got some of that like, like we make fun of it, but that kind of there's something endearing about it too. That TNG naivete, like when right. when word comes down on the radio that her ship has has pulled into dock, yeah. Like Bashir and Dax look at each other like, "Yay, a new friend!" <laughs> and like from that perspective, I really get Malora's vibe and being like, "God, can you just leave me alone? <laughs> like I'm just trying to like this is a work trip for me." Every time you're touching the engine, you're touching me, real professional. Because when she comes on board, like she is really struggling. Uh, you know, she work, walks with a cane until they get her in the in the chair. But from an emotional standpoint, the walls are up. She is not uh, interested in being helped over the threshold. She's not uh, not psyched that Bashir took it upon himself to modify the wheelchair in any way i'll just have to adapt i feel like by and large people who are in the federation in their yearly reviews are graded on a number of things but one of those things that they're graded on is like how easy they are to work with and one of the things that strained credulity about malora's character for me was like you know there's there's a completely understandable feeling that she has about being uh, coddled Right. But also, she's kind of a jerk. <laughs> and well, I think she needs improvement in that, in that aspect of her review. Otherwise, I don't think she's going to go very far. She's an ensign, and she's big-dogging people. Right. She big-dogs like, the commander. Like she's, yeah. I guess she's fresh out of the academy, which maybe 
excuses some of it, but also she's been at the academy for a few years, right? Like, what happens when you go to the academy? Because when Wesley came back from the academy, he was super angry and an <laughs> asshole too. <laughs> Everybody just feels so bad about failing that Kobayashi Maru test yeah. that it just ruins their mood yeah. for years. Yeah. <laughs> so she throws uh, a wet blanket on the moods of these helpful crew people right away. I mean, she's also expressing something that I think a lot of people that are differently abled feel, which is that, like, they don't want all of that attention of people, like, you know, stopping what they would be doing otherwise to, to help because it, it kind of feels like... I mean, I imagine it feels like you just have, like, the entire focus of the room on you at all times every time you go try and do something if you're yeah. in a wheelchair or whatever. And that has got to feel like a bad, you know, like, if you can't get out from under that, I can imagine that being really oppressive. I think mostly she just might be disappointed at her shitty-looking wheelchair being, like, <laughs> they they rented it from a drugstore on the promenade and, like, affixed... For some reason, aerodynamic wheel covers <laughs> to the wheels. It's a regular wheelchair that they got some garbage can lids to put over the wheels up. Melora observes that there's been like some changes to the chair. She's like, "Is that a is that a fucking bike bell? <laughs> Give me a break." <laughs> She's super pissed about this. She's like, I gave you the schematics to this chair and my room. Did you fuck with my room too or just the chair? Yeah. And that that stings a little bit. Yeah. So uh, that's our kind of A story. We introduce a B story, which is that uh, Cork is in the process of selling some kind of, I guess there's, are they bracelets or just they're like napkin rings or something they look to me like mom bangle bracelets you know <laughs> like yeah. like chunky and fun and you just sort of mix and match them right yeah <laughs> taking some pottery classes down at the community center yeah i'm really just trying to get out there yeah get some hobbies you know a lot of my friends have moved away and i don't want to be lonely <laughs> You know, me and your father have grown apart a little bit, but I feel like I'm finding myself. <laughs> Thinking about trying to have sex with a lady. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd missed my one chance in college. <laughs> but Facebook has put me back in touch with some people that uh, I never thought I'd see again. <laughs> Anyways, all this jewelry is just my way of saying, I'm feeling like a new me. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so this uh, this alien, it's kind of it's that loafy hoggit kind of alien, which I forget what their species is. Uh, California raisin is, <laughs> is the is the species, I think. So uh, Quirk and that guy are in the midst of uh, of elbow bumping the deal for uh, to exchange these napkin rings for one hundred and ninety nine bars of gold pressed latinum. Quirk is totally feeling like the contemporary uh, something in 99 cents salesmanship that makes it feel like a a tremendous value. Yeah, this guy feels like he's just giving up 100 bars, Uh and in fact, it's more like he's giving up 200 bars. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, a a very sinister alien with tea kettle handle loaf on his face walks into the bar, and uh, it really changes Quark's mood. Quark is uh, pretty concerned about this guy's arrival. He's threatened by a dick nose. 
<laughs> who does not beat around the bush about his interest in killing him. Yeah, this guy has a weird approach to murder, <laughs> which is his stated intent, is that he states his intent. I, I think Clark also has a strange position with regard to having been threatened with murder. He does not bring this up with Odo until, like, many, many scenes later. Right, yeah, and um, it's it's... Just a it it's just another example of how crime on Deep Space Nine works really differently from everywhere else. Like Odo is always going and telling Quark that he's aware of whatever Quark's scheme is. People are coming to Quark and telling Quark that uh, he's <laughs> he's in for it. But then just like hanging out and like I guess buying drinks and stuff. Like I'm <laughs> I'm going to order dinner at your bar, but then I'm going to dump the soup on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Really took a page out of the uh the Klingon playbook on that. The story with him is that he was involved in some sort of prohibition style uh <laughs> stealing of Romulan ale. Yeah, they were uh they were space age rum runners and uh Quark did not get in trouble and sent to a labor camp, but this dude did. You ever do What's his a- name? Fallet Cot? Yeah. It feels very much like uh, the thing you did in school that you weren't caught for, but your friend was. <laughs> it's not a great feeling. Oh, man. Yeah. I was always the one that got caught. Yeah. She refers to it as the Malora problem. Like, she shows up in ops, and she's, like, greeted very kindly by Cisco, and she throws a ton of tood back in his face. Where? Outraged by this. Because she doesn't like that he was conferring with Dax and Bashir in her absence because it like they were discussing something that had to do with her. And to Cisco's credit, he's like really not flapped by this. He's like, Yeah, they're my senior officers. I talk to them all the time about a lot of different things. Yeah. And it's not really your place. I don't need to run by uh, the minutes from my meeting past you before, <laughs> before we start this one. Melora describes the Melora problem as her challenges becoming other people's big deal. Uh, but the Melora problem to me seems more like she's just not very fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not fun to be treated as though you're ill, but also like the solution to that is not to treat everybody else as though they're assholes for considering you at all. It's so weird to see, like, you see aliens of different personality traits a lot. Yeah. But it feels rare to see a Federation jerk. Right. Most of the time, the problem with Federation people is they're maybe a little spectrum-y like Barkley. Right. Or maybe they're clumsy or whatever, like, very... uh like very innocent problems mm-hmm. personality wise, but Melora is aggressively uh almost cruel in the defense of her different abilities. It's kind of the racism problem where like if you are a person of color going around like anytime somebody is an asshole to you, you have to wonder whether that was because they're being racist or not. Yeah. Like every time somebody makes any consideration of her, she has she's stuck wondering, is this because I'm in a wheelchair or because they would have just done this one way or the other. Exactly. So she's, uh, you know, justifiably defensive. She just also, like, you know, 
could could use some better tools with de- for dealing with this. Bashir seems either uniquely interested or uniquely able to like crack through her exterior. Right. And he's in love with her the way Jordy loves a stranger, and yet Melora's attempt to Brahms him into <laughs> leaving her alone fails. Yeah, he does not play it the same way that Jordy does. And he also doesn't, I mean, it's like what he has, has done is not quite as skeevy as right. what Jordy did to Brahms. How many other programs did you create? Perhaps dozens of them, one for every day of the week, one for every move. So in that way, she has less to be concerned about. But also he's able to to get under her skin and, and to convince her that she's, she can be vulnerable around him. You've decided I need a friend. Ooh, is that an attack? And she starts to be. Like, she starts to admit that the walls she has up are because she really values being able to achieve what she's achieved on her own terms and without, you know, a bunch of assistance from other people. Like, she wants to... She wants her accomplishments to be her accomplishments and not something that she would never have been able to do without yeah. assistance, which is a tricky tension to have, you know? I just wish that his interest in her felt less like she is a, a medical problem for him to fix. Yeah. And, like, there's a scene fairly early, early on when they're getting to know each other where it's just fucking Bashir prattling on about himself <laughs> and about his great failure at curing someone. Right. He's like, why did I become a doctor? Well, let me tell you and take up all of dinner telling you this Yeah, super self-centered story. Their intimacy becomes more believable to me, I think, if he is more interested in her and her deal rather than yeah. uh, sharing himself with her. But Though maybe that's... that's well, True also, to Melora's deal because she's such a hard nut to crack anyway. Maybe if you're on a date with her, all you can do is talk about yourself. But it is like, I mean, this is her story. She's definitely the main character yeah. in this episode. And I do want to know more about her. Like, I I feel like if, if uh, he'd had a quicker answer to why did you become a doctor and then asked her why did you become a cartographer, she probably had an interesting answer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, she's the first of her species to join Starfleet to leave this planet and go to, you know, live in a society with much more gravity than she's used to. Like, the, she's got an interesting backstory that we don't get any of. Yeah, I wish we got a little more of that. It's an interesting, like, we we have not gotten to know Bashir very well over the season and a half. Yeah. And so maybe they just saw it as another yeah. I mean, way it's, to do that. It's interesting the way he kind of kills her with kindness. Like, he really won't take asshole for an answer. Whatever it was in him that made him lecherous and creepy with Dax, he he appears to have a better handle on now. Yeah, I really think that they took him back to the drawing board for season two. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that a little bit in a recent episode, but the character seems really different. Yeah, I agree. So they go to her apartment at one point, and, like, she has it rigged up so that she can go low G when she's off work. Cause otherwise she has to have like a structural, like she has like an exoskeleton on her uniform. She's mostly in the wheelchair, but can stand up and like walk with the cane for brief distances. But when like 
Bashir starts to really appeal to her as as a hang and not just as a colleague like she takes him back to her room and shows her shows him her uh her bouncy castle this opened up a ton of questions about like <laughs> the first question i had was how can bashir not be familiar with the idea of zero gravity right, like this dude lives in space <laughs> <laughs> it it's it's so fucked up like He's like someone who works at SeaWorld who falls into a pool and doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> this should be the easiest thing for him to grok. Yeah. We know that Worf had low-gravity combat training at the Academy. Yeah. It feels like everyone should have gone through that. Yeah. Oh, but that movie came out... This predates First Contact. So, so they didn't so that's canonize a that idea. Yeah. 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 Maybe... I mean, maybe... I mean, it's the 24th century and they've had artificial gravity forever. Maybe it's just like, nobody likes free fall. We like the gravity. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think zero-G sex is like? It, it's it got to be very difficult. Because <laughs> you need that sink and bounce. If there's one thing I right. know right now, having done the show for the time that we've done it... Yeah. You need... You need the right sink and bounce to uh, <laughs> to a sexual escapade. You need to be able to push off something and not fly across the room. It's like, if you're weightless, I bet it's like when you're both in the swing, right? <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm speculating. <laughs> um yeah, there is a great book by Mary Roach called Packing for Mars that's about the science of humans going to space. Yeah. And uh, she could not get to the bottom of this, but there is some speculation that either NASA or the Russians have actually tried this out, uh, but nobody knows what, what the result was. The result has got to be difficulty in cleaning the capsule once you return to gravity. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is... Yeah, you don't want to use the rhythm method. I don't know how you get method. it out of the buttons, right? Yeah, no, you don't want to use the rhythm method in <laughs> in, in microgravity, because it gets everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Not just landing on the lower back. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be taking my food out of the straw pouch from here on out. <laughs> Not going to expose it to this mist of whatever this is. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one thing that you learn in that book is how nasty it gets up, up there. Like, she has, like, transcripts in that book from the Apollo missions where in the middle of discussing how some experiment is going with Houston or whatever, and they comment about how a, a turd just floated by. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, because the the bathroom on in zero G is like literally like suction cups to your butt, and it tries to suck the material down. Sure, but gravity does a lot of that work, and if you don't get it just right, a thing called uh, kerneling, popcorn kerneling, can happen where it where the, the the fan blade like kicks it up and sends it back the the wrong way. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Space is gross, dude. <laughs> this, is, this is why Bashir doesn't fuck around in microgravity. Yeah. Just, just the poop implications of it alone. <laughs> As a medical professional, he probably knows more about that than anyone. <laughs> You've got to be just like pig penning skin flakes around in that environment, too. Like, yeah. 
the dandruff cloud alone yeah. has got to be awful. Yeah, people with allergies need not apply to NASA. Good. Ben, it's time to talk about the most fun time of year for us. It's Max Fun Drive time. Yeah, it's still Max Fun Drive time, even here at this part of the episode. (laughs) And the thing to do is ignore everything we're saying and just go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and get it out of the way because, uh, you know, we cannot really do this show without the support of our viewers. Like the Friends of DeSoto are the customer we're not you know we like when you listen to our show you hear a couple of ads usually but they are after like usually an hour of of content with no ads and the reason we're able to do that is because we're making this show for you guys and you guys step up and support in a big way it's the way I like to listen to podcasts, you know? Like, I, I don't like a lot of ad breaks. I want to keep those to a minimum and uh, keep them toward the end of the thing. And uh, it's a real privilege and honor to do that. And uh, the way we incentivize uh, folks to donate to the show is we do the Max Fund Drive every year. And the network has put together some awesome gifts for Uh, monthly donors, and we want to spend some time talking about those right now. One of the things that I think we're especially proud of is the extra content that we make, not just around Pledge Drive, but uh, for the entire year. And as a supporter of the show at the $5 level, you can get access to those special shows. Yeah, and uh, we haven't like completely planned this out, but I think that we can say that, I mean, we do have a a live episode about Star Trek First Contact that went in the bonus content coffers for this year's Max Fun Drive. But I think if we get to the network goal of 25,000 new and upgrading donors, you want to go ahead and say right now, we'll do a Hunt for Red October episode? Sure, why not? All right. You heard it here. We are going one ping only this year if the network hits its goal. What's his plan? His plan? His plan. Russians don't take a dump, son. I think we can do it, and if the Friends of DeSoto uh, help that, that'll make a really big difference in our ability to do that. Uh, we've got a uh, an enamel pin for the show for the $10 per month level, and uh, these were super popular last year, the, uh, the enamel pins. People really went crazy for them, so Megan Lincott is back with all new enamel pins for all the shows. And uh, can't wait for you guys to check those out. And if you want to like look at pictures of these gifts, go to maximumfund.org slash donate and uh, donate. At the $20 level, Ben, uh, there's something I think our viewers are really going to like, and that is a uh, MaxFun family cookbook. You and I have both uh, submitted special recipes to this thing. Yeah. I love this. Like, I, I can't wait to get this cookbook and try some of the recipes because... Uh, it's all hosts from the shows contributing recipes. You contributed your your legendary meat dip. Yeah, that uh, that you've uh, I've I've had it. I went to a, like a Super Bowl party at your house randomly yeah. years ago. I only make it once a year. It's 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 medically unfit to be consumed more than once a year. <laughs> yeah, 
that meat dip really helped me avoid being the guy who walks around the Super Bowl party going, what's this, sports ball? Yeah. That's the direction I'm naturally drawn to go. You get hostile when you're hungry, so I wanted to make sure I filled you up with delicious meat and cheese dip. At the $35 per month level, you get all of that stuff, plus a rocket-engraved juice carafe. This is like one of those uh, those carafes that you get with... With uh, water at like a nice French restaurant. Or a house wine, even, at yeah. an Italian restaurant. Yeah, I mean, they say juice carafe, but you can put something a little bit more powerful in there. Anything in it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Any liquid substance will will go in this. Maybe uh, We're maybe not going to ask too many questions. Maybe the bathroom's too far away. I don't know. Look, once it gets to you, it's out of our hands. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, $50 per month is a new level that they've added, and I've been at the 35 level for a few years now, so I'm really excited to be upgrading this year myself to the $50 per month level where you get a Maximum Fun membership card made out of metal. Oh, really? It's the metal one, Adam. Oh, I like that. There's something very satisfying about uh, paying a restaurant bill and throwing down a metal card. Yeah. I don't think this one is a monetary instrument, but... Confuse your waiter (laughs) by attempting to pay for a meal with your brand new metal-engraved MaxFun membership card. Yeah, it's not going to get you into the the Admiral's Nest lounge at the airport. It's not going to get you any any discounts at a restaurant. It will just commemorate your support of MaximumFun.org, plus you get all the previously mentioned gifts and that's how these levels work so uh maximumfund.org slash donate there are also higher levels if you are rich uh also if you are you know between work or a student or whatever like we don't want this to feel compulsory we want this to we be... also don't want it to feel like support starts at five dollars if you have a dollar or two dollars to contribute a month that really goes a long way in supporting the show so don't feel like you can't do anything yeah uh, free ways to support the show include five star reviews yeah and uh and a nice tweet about it or something to get the word out about the show all those ways really help yeah so but you know whatever is in your budget and like you know we hear from people all the time that this show means more than just a thing that they listen to you know it's uh it's a show that uh people have really formed amazing connections with and built friendships around and if you can contribute financially to support its production like you help other people find it and you help other people have those positive experiences as well. And that's been like one of the most rewarding parts of doing this for me and Adam. And, uh, and if you, uh, if you step up by going to maximumfund.org slash donate, you can, uh, ensure that that happens for more people going forward. Spread the positivity around if you can afford it. Maximumfund.org slash donate. Get it done now. Yeah. And then come back and we'll continue our discussion of this episode. So Adam, the big uh, high stakes problem that is... Before we continue, can we... I don't think we finished space sex. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it's clear at this point that Bashir and Melora have had space sex. Yeah. It's interesting how little is made over the idea of a uh, supervisor and subordinate... Right. Like doing that. And and that, also a doctor and patient doing that. Yeah. Did that feel uh because they never because things never got weird as a result, do you think yeah. that is a way for the show to telegraph to the viewer that it doesn't need to be weird? This happens all the time? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think the only time it even comes up is Melora talking to Dax. Like, do you think romance can work in Starfleet? Right. And Dax's only uh, only positive experience with that is a 150-year-old example. Yeah, poor Dax, right? Yeah. Dax is just straight jacking it all the time. <laughs> yeah. If uh, if anybody has karate stands bean flicking at this point, it's Dax. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the big high stakes A storyline tension is around Melora wanting to go on cartography missions in a runabout solo. And uh, the com- I'm so glad you reminded me, Ben, because uh, her mission there is almost completely forgotten for large parts of this episode. <laughs> yeah. She's really pissed off that the commander is insisting that she take Dax with her. Um, but uh, she's, you know, she pretty quickly reveals that she can't really be trusted alone because she, uh, you know, takes on too much and got she got distracted going down to some supply office and trying to get something and and like bailed out on her uh on her walker and i guess smashed the controls of her uh her exoskeleton so her like arms and legs are moving without without any control yeah for this character specifically that seems like a terribly humiliating experience yeah the embarrassment of it i thought was was well portrayed and uh, I was fairly impressed by uh, Dax's ability to just pick her up. Yeah. Like... She does seem light, right? Yeah. She must be if she comes from low-gravity planet. Yeah, and the way that they they made that physicality... Or would she be the same? I don't know how science works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the Expanse novels right now, and they don't really do anything with this in the television show because it's probably still too expensive digitally, but... The uh, characters that grow up in, like, the outer planets and, like, in the belt all, like, have grown up with less gravity than most people. So they are tall and have, like, weird-shaped heads mm-hmm. because their bodies have never had, like, mm-hmm. the the relentless pull of Earth's gravity on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they haven't had their turds sucked out of them right. the way they are here. Yeah. They're used to popcorned turds. Mm. <laughs> I think it's. I think the the actual term in that is, is are... fecal popcorning is the mm. term. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, popcorn turds is just a fun spin to put on it. You know, like uh, sometimes it's fun to eat just a big old bowl of popcorn turds instead of just the one big turd. <laughs> yeah, is, is that a shrimp reference? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh. <laughs> but her work situation couldn't be less interesting to either the show itself or to the viewer really like it only serves to move the characters around yeah well they you know Bashir starts working on this way he can like augment some part of her brain to send stronger signals to her muscles and she'll be able to walk around like she grew up in closer to 1g of gravity um but uh you know it's like it's fleeting and it's like a treatment that's going to take a while. Do you think what Bashir is prescribing has a sexual benefit too? (laughs) It's interesting. What if I told you I could make you stronger down there? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, it'd just be nice if you kind of pushed back every so often. (laughs) I don't want to feel like I'm the only one doing work. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't worry, Deep Space Nine. Where you've where you've stopped making Bashir a creep, we will do the heavy lifting for you. <laughs> we will never forget. Her character changes so much from the, like yeah. for for the first uh, five minutes. She's like really recalcitrant and prickly and by like halfway through the show she's vulnerable with Bashir and confiding things in him about what it feels like to her to have this this difference of ability from other people and it's pretty radical and I feel like pretty well acted and pretty well written it's like more of a a character change than I feel like a lot of one-off characters get right like Lieutenant Toast never had anything to do no RSVP Lieutenant Toast. Lieutenant George Priman, Starfleet Security. Any excuse to use the toast drop. <laughs> when she started like wanting like showing that she wanted to bang Bashir, I was convinced that she was gonna buy the farm by the end of the episode. Right. Well, maybe we should discuss a little more of the B story as it relates to the A story because they do they do wind up crossing paths don't they yeah like a like a friendship bracelet of plotting where uh, <laughs> we're braiding the two together towards the end of the episode because fleet cot breaks into cork's apartment after hours and the Cardassians clearly brought a similar ethos, W slash R slash T locks to right. their design of Deep Space Nine that the Federation brought to designing the entrepreneur. I walked out. No one can hear you, Quark. It's just you and me. The doors aren't locked. The runabouts aren't locked. <laughs> he coerces Quark by the throat <laughs> to hop onto a runabout, which coincidentally happens around the time that, uh, that Melora and Dax are coming back from a mission, yeah? Well, yeah, I mean, this dude is in the bedroom looking to do the murder that he's promised to Quark. Yeah. And Quark is like, why not, instead of murdering me, I give you a bunch of money that I am expecting to be receiving shortly. How does 199 bars of gold Breslatinum sound to you? You never want to roll up to a drop with an unannounced buddy, though. Yeah. And this is the problem that the California Raisin does not realize is happening like there's a stranger here, yeah, and he's not feeling the stranger danger. To to analogize, the California raisin is one of the nihilists, and Cot is Walter, you know, <laughs> and Quark is the dude, <laughs> and, uh, and the drop does not go well. <laughs> ah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bold. One way in which the drop goes extremely well is is when uh, the raisin gets phasered. The bracelets go directly into Cork's arm. Yeah, he like he flies back while pushing yeah. the purse full of uh, napkin rings out, and yeah. it just lands like right in the numbers for Cork. Yeah, very elegant. <laughs> yeah, I heard that raisin uh, was uh, was all state in high school as a as a QB. Like he, <laughs> he was really good. Some people thought he could go to the show, but then he hurt his arm. I still got it. This is all happening as Melora and Dax are like, you know, just just talking talking girl talk, talking romance in Starfleet. Yeah. Getting off a getting off a runabout when 
Quark and the uh, and Cot come around the corner and Cot, uh, you know, he hostages them all into the runabout and tells them to take off. No one thinks to Star Trek fight Cot. Like they have the numbers. Right. There's never an attempt to resist him. That gun must be very scary, but no one even talks about the idea of the gun being particularly scary in the way that uh, the gore weapons have been that we've seen previously. Yeah. I don't know that you necessarily need to, like, sell being scared of a gunman, but they also, I mean, it's one of those Star Trek security problems where it's like, why don't you just beam that guy onto the pad in the in ops and disable right. his weapon in mid beam which we know is a thing that can happen yeah and then like it's all good right yeah one would think <laughs> i mean like they're aware of this abduction happening they're like watching it on the screens and stuff right like yeah. odo is odo is watching the the progress of it and reporting on it so uh yeah it's one of those uh we'll just wave our hands and get past it but they're on the I guess they're on the Orinoco and Cisco and Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Get on the Rio Grande to chase them through the wormhole. A lot of people feel like the Orinoco ruined the Beatles. (laughs) Yeah, turns out that's just a hateful way of people marginalizing a woman who's an artist in her own right. (laughs) It was so much fun to see that thought come together in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that that B minus joke was more entertaining to to look at than I, here. I could see like if you became the meme, like I could see the scientific formula come together that created <laughs> that joke <laughs> as you stared off into space creating it. <laughs> and we should say that like before this Malora has expressed a little bit of buyer's remorse on these treatments that are helping her walk around. Yeah, because one she thing and that Dax she really talked out whether or not she wanted to go through with them. How could I possibly have second thoughts? The thing that she's really not loving about it is that she can't go back to her apartment and turn the gravity down at night because I mean I guess it must be the same thing where like astronauts that come back from long state periods of being stationed on the. International Space Station have like brittle bones and weak muscles because you just atrophy up there. Yeah. She's like, my tits are getting super dumpy <laughs> in this high gravity environment. Yeah. I thought I thought it was rocking cannons. Yeah. I came I came in here looking like Madonna and now it's just over the shoulder boulder holders. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I want. That would have been an interesting place to take it. Like her like her there's a certain vanity associated with how her body conforms to a gravity environment mm-hmm. that changes, that has to change. It must. If she had the dick nose that Cod is rocking, like, her dick would be on the ground. <laughs> her face would be fucked up. I felt really bad for that actor that played Cot having, like, I was picturing what craft services, yeah. you know, like, he's restricted to celery and carrots as his foods. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like, taking a hot dog out of the bun and sliding it in sideways. <laughs> yeah, a lot of straw drinking. For that guy. I guess the reason I brought up uh, the lack of resistance from the people to him is that I wanted that used against him. Like, I wanted someone to grab his face like it had a handle on it. Yeah. And, like, wing him into a wall, but we never get payoff that way. Yeah, that that Chekhov's tea kettle handle (laughs) never pays off. He's got Chekhov's nose. (laughs) (laughs) 
so they go through the wormhole and uh, and Cisco and and O'Brien are like hot on their heels and and they're like they're on the FaceTime and Cod is like I'm going to start killing hostages unless you fuck off and um and to demonstrate that he is serious he blasts Melora and she like bails out off the off the chair that she's sitting in and off screen <laughs> Like, he basically shoots her out of the television. I love how they cross-cut ops with this scene, and basically no one flinches. Like, they, they watch someone basically be executed in front of them, and Bashir especially is like, hmm. Damn. <laughs> but, like, emotion is appropriate in this moment. Yeah, they should have been horrified. Yeah. Like, Starfleets don't get abducted and murdered like this. Yeah, yeah. This is This is crazy. Yeah. I mean... Think about as many times as somebody was like kidnapped or hijacked or something in TNG, and nobody ever got killed. Fully caught is like as evil as it gets on this show, and for some reason I never felt threatened by him. Was it? Was it because he looks ridiculous? Because he has dorky loaf. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what it took. Yeah, I, I think you know. might be right. Like he's got that he's got that like 70s feathered hair that covers his ears too. Yeah. Like he just looks silly. Yeah. The episode asks you to fear him, but if you don't, I think uh I think the episode falls apart a little bit. Yeah, I mean he is not scary and the episode maybe asks too much. <laughs> more, more, more. It turns out Melora did not, in fact, uh, you know, the rumors of her death have been wildly exaggerated. And uh, she manages to kind of like back herself up on the floor to some control in the back of the runabout. There's apparently a button that turns the gravity off in, uh, on that back panel there. Yeah, you got to get to that button. Yeah. So, uh, so once she does that, she is able to do a single act of null G Star Trek fighting, which is kind of torpedo herself across the room at this guy. Did you ever play uh, Mortal Kombat? Uh-huh. I thought I thought that looked like a Raiden move, like the, the <laughs> Raiden spear across screen. Raiden wins. Flawless victory. Fatality. Except for she didn't like blast out his back, yeah. his spine in her hands or right. something. <laughs> that would have been great. They cut to the exterior of the runabout and the windshield just looks red, just painted <laughs> red. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's like I wanted to see this fight scene. Yeah. It, I wanted them to like they did a lot of wire work in this episode showing Bashir and her, you know, palling around in a confined space, having a zero-G combat scene would have been really cool. Yeah, and I was reading about the production of this ep because I was interested in, because it was so unique in its wire work for a Star Trek episode, like what yeah. they did to do it. And they the reason they didn't use wire work more than they did was because they hand-painted all the wires out frame by frame. Damn. And... I mean, on a show with a production schedule like this, you just don't have the time to do that. That is so time-consuming to do Yeah, that they basically had time, I think, for the three scenes that they did wire comps on, and then that was it. But they did believe that Melora was going to be a character that returned, and so they kept all the gear for the wire work, uh-huh. and they never ended up using it. I think around season five or six, they ended up throwing it in the garbage. Like, Damn. They're like, we don't have room for this thing. Let's get rid of it. 
Did you see anything about why Melora never came back? They just didn't didn't wind up having a storyline that they felt like she fit in? Yeah, I think, you know... She's relegated to the dust heap with Lieutenant Toast. Yeah, this show is incredibly cruel (laughs) to its characters in that way. The end of the episode is the cot gets taken into custody and Melora and Bashir go have chow at the Klingon restaurant and she tells him, she breaks it to him that the that the treatments that she's been doing are not going to work for her. And it's not, it's like they don't leave it like she's leaving or anything, but it does, it does kind of feel like a goodbye in a weird way. This was one of the best parts of the episode to me because when she was shot and then revealed to be alive, I felt like uh, the decision that was given to her earlier would be taken away. And so like the result of having been shot would mean that she could not continue the therapy and then her hmm. agency about that decision would be, would be lost. Oh yeah. But I was very satisfied that she was able to keep that, agency and make the decision for herself and that made it seem to be like a an earned thing yeah one thing that was clear from this scene for me though is like just how deeply uncomfortable a mariachi of any kind is (laughs) when they approach your table at a restaurant like (laughs) especially when you're trying to have a deep conversation and it gets loud yeah you know yeah you've never heard wantanameda unless you've heard it in the original klingon (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that never gets less comfortable as the centuries pass, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really liked that they... Uh, I remember that there was a Klingon restaurant on this show, but I liked that it was like, there's a new Klingon restaurant on the promenade. Yeah. Let's go try it. Yeah. And then she does... Like, my uncle spoke uh, fluent Chinese, and... Uh, it was real fun to go into Chinese restaurants with him and have him like order from the you oh, know construction paper signs on the walls and not on the menu. Yeah, like he's seeing stuff up there that's not in English on the menu and ordering that stuff and like blowing away the staff because he doesn't look like a he didn't look like a you know a cosmopolitan dude who was fluent in their language. Yeah, you like. Mongolian beef is delicious, but right. there's some stuff on the special menu that, that you just don't know that you have access to without a person like that. And that's Melora. She can go toe-to-toe with the Klingon restaurateur. Yeah. She does not want the uh, the racht that's half dead. She wants the good stuff. There's a great Chinese restaurant a few blocks from my house that has the two menus. And on the alternate menu, there's, like, the stinking tofu <laughs> and, like, the the flowery described, like, hardcore Chinese dishes that are so delicious. Yeah, right, but are, are uh, not exactly crowd pleasers in this country. Like, much like how I've always wanted to be the regular at a bar, like, the respect nucks from the kitchen yeah. at a restaurant like that, are, I want so bad. Right. Did you like this episode? I did. I think it's definitely like a, in some ways, a very special episode. You know, it's kind yeah. of about a thing. But I think Deep Space Nine is better at this than TNG was. You know, when TNG had an episode that's like telling you a thing it it wants you to have values about or whatever, it's, uh, it's like, Wesley, some people take drugs to get, you know. <laughs> to, yeah. Why would anyone want to take drugs? (laughs) Yeah, Deep Space Nine is uh, is less inelegant than TNG was in that way because it does not turn directly to camera with those opinions. 
the writer of this episode was confined to a wheelchair. Like this is oh, this wow. is coming from a very personal place that yeah. I think is important to call attention to. Well, and I think that that's like there's a little bit of courage in depicting Melora as prickly and unlikable initially because it makes it a little harder to wind up empathizing with her as a viewer. She she right. comes in a little bit as an antagonist and winds up being the one you're rooting for. Yeah. And the one you want to make the best decision for her, you know, like you want her to do what is going to be good for Melora in the end. And um and that's like a really cool it's a really cool way to do that, I think. I think that in in TNG like they would not necessarily have had the guts to not start with a likable character. Right. I mean, when when you look at the construction of a story as a series of problems that need solving, mm-hmm. uh, it is a very efficient way to solve a problem with attitude to have the conclusion be a smile, for example. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's very tidy to do it in that way. And so when we like her at the end, that's a fast... That's a fast way to end her story in right. a way that, that we can understand. Indeed. I think I like the episode, too. It, you know what? Like At the end of the last episode, when you were telling me about this one, it was easy to come into it thinking that it was going to be one of the preachy Star Trek shows. Yeah. I was surprised at how much it did not take that route <laughs> towards uh, its lessons. It's pretty cool. Well... I guess we don't have P1s, right? Oh, that's right. Uh, episodes during the Max Fun Drive do not have priority one messages. So or I... advertisements. Or advertisements. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did find a drunk Shimoda, and... I wrote down a couple of different options. I found like this was a difficult episode to find one. Yeah. Um, I am going to go outside the context of the show, though, and into its production. Okay. Which is Nana Visitor is in this show. You may have blinked and missed her, <laughs> but she went through the effort of going into makeup, going into costume, and then going on to set to deliver four words. Wow. Those words are open... No reply, understood, and energizing. <laughs> She's uh, basically just responding to people, and I, then that's I'm it. just here in the cheap seats, but I counted five there. No yeah. reply, I believe. Just It's true. Send your corrections to uh, Jordan and Jesse of JJ Go. I, uh, <laughs> that was... Uh, that really stuck out to me as a... Like, she's on screen, and I was like, oh, hello. And then I was like, oh, she's gone. <laughs> that's it. That's all we get. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. How about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Bashir, uh, just for the way he reacted when she described turning the gravity down as like getting into a hot tub. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, ooh. <laughs> like, the erotic potential of it is the only thing that he does in his performance. Like, his performance is 100% about processing the erotic potential and zero percent about anything else and that was so funny to me like i laughed out loud in that moment in in the episode there are few other things that can elicit a response like that just by by a description of a possession that you have yeah hot tub is one of them 
Waterbed is another like yeah. oh. like it's almost <laughs> almost purely eroticized as, as soon as it's discussed. Yeah. So uh, for that reason, Bashir gets my drunk Shimoda. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Adam, the next episode is season two, episode seven, Rules of Acquisition. A Ferengi female who has defied the law and disguised herself as a male risks it all when she falls in love with Quark. Or, as Netflix puts it, while engaging in a game of tango with Rom, Dax, and a young Ferengi waiter, Quark is hailed by his leader, Grand Negus Zek, who has good news for him. <laughs> I feel like the only thing a Ferengi female has to do to pass as a Ferengi male is put on clothes, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I, uh... Yeah, I, the only Ferengi female that I have a recent memory of seeing is that picture of Quark's mom. Yeah. And she's pretty much the same. Real feast for the eyes. Yeah. It's like a like aged Ferengi loaf is especially upsetting. Yeah. All right, Adam. So we are on square 14 of Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. And... Uh, you're required to learn as you play. Roll. We could potentially hit a Quark's bar if we roll, I think, a four, right? Yeah. Yeah, so shall we roll? Let's do it. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We rolled a six. So a six uh, overshoots Quark's bar a little bit, and we are on square 20. A standard issue episode, uh, but a special episode like this one, for it occurs during uh, the Max Fun Drive 2018. Yeah, and we're so appreciative to all the people who have already stepped up and supported. It made a big difference uh, in my life this year uh, to have supporters at all because, you know, my wife and I moved across the country and I... um, You know, like I'm in a new city with not the same clients that I had previously and I didn't need to put the greatest generation on hiatus so that I could focus on developing a client list because the greatest generation is not a time suck at this point. It's a source of stability in my life. And if, uh, if it hadn't been that, like I, I really honestly think we would have probably had to take at least a month or two off. And um, the fact that we have people supporting the show on a monthly basis made all the difference in the world uh, on that decision. So uh, that's the kind of thing you're paying for is like continuity of show and quality of show and our ability to take it really seriously and make it the best thing we can make it. In the way that you depend on us to deliver shows every week, uh, we have come to depend on you to help make sure that that's possible. I know personally, um, I am really excited for the months and years ahead where we're able to do weird, fun interesting things uh things that involve risk yeah both uh both financially or uh or otherwise <laughs> and uh i'm excited for the ability to do those things and i think uh the only way that we're able to do things like go out on tour and uh and pay people to design merch for us and all the other things that we love doing to make the show more than just the show to yeah. to make it into the larger 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, the, yeah, it's, there's a larger ecosystem to the right. show than just the show, and that's all made possible through the support of our viewers. So we really, really, greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you'd like to join the uh, the hordes of people who have already stepped up to the plate, it's uh, maximumfund.org/donate, and uh, there is a level of contribution that's right for just about anybody. So thank you to everybody that does that, and. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that may or may not be wearing clothes. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.